Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. Uh, my name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster. Um, and I am joined, not as ever, because Sam is still away, uh, by Lou from Arrow. Hello, Lou. Hey, Dan. How's it going? Um, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Why don't you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, I'm Louise. I work at Arrow. I've been there for around seven years now so I'm one of the the lifers there so I work in the marketing department with Mike who was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago yeah um so yeah work in the marketing department mainly work across the events and social media side and then also help on the kind of product marketing and advertising as well and the merchandising which is really fun nice so you're sort of one of the last uh one of the last people to be not sorry not one of the last people to be involved but like you're right at the the customer interface side of what arrow do so you're sort of when a when a a project is picked and packaged and you know sourced and all that kind of stuff you're the one that that lets everyone know about it yes which is Um, really really fun yeah yeah absolutely and and of course you know listeners but also attendees to things like fright fest will probably have met you uh, at the stand at fright fest and that kind of thing you've Yes, so we go to, every time that we do events, we, permitting, we will go ourselves, we'll have people from Arrow representing the stand and selling the discs, it's just a really great way for us to kind of meet our fans, get to know people, also speak to them about the releases, get feedback, get recommendations, so it's really valuable for us, and it's just really nice to be able to kind of have the ability to do that. I was talking to Kev last time uh, about Crimson Peak, and in particular the the fact that Arrow is um, is getting some of these bigger titles um, into its library now. Is that changing how you uh, how you represent Arrow when you're when you're dealing with things like social media and and the event face of Arrow? No, not at all. I think if anything, it kind of helps us broaden out our scope a little bit more because it does bring new people into the brand. We've got things such as when we release Waterworld. There's definitely some people who would have pick that up who would not have heard of arrow before especially the kind of more niche cult and horror titles and if anything it's giving us a broader reach and enabling us to kind of showcase more films to a wider audience and also it's helping us pick up more exciting titles as well because if we do a good job on one of these big titles they'll kind of have enough faith in us to give us something else so hopefully it's gonna help us broaden our catalog and get some really cool titles that's yeah it's very exciting kev was off off mic kev was talking about some upcoming stuff which i'm very excited to be allowed to talk about at some point in the future we've got some really really exciting stuff coming up this year um it's going to be a great year especially the second half for fans and yeah i i would love to be able to speak to you about a lot of the stuff we have coming up but i would get slap wrists if i did but maybe (laughs) maybe secretly we can have a little chat (laughs) yeah and then more publicly in the future perhaps definitely um so we obviously try and uh, focus on a single title when we're doing these mm-hmm. things even in sam's absence we're keeping his memory alive by uh inc- like including some semblance of professionality <laughs> <laughs> um uh, so today we've sort of been focusing on um horrors of the malformed men which is a relatively recent arrow release yeah but is much more like arrow classic in its type because it's a much more niche title you were talking about how films like Waterworld kind of bring in a new audience people who wouldn't necessarily like be drawn to Arrow titles with with the things like Malformed Men how do you like when you're interacting with social media and and announcing this kind of stuff how much of it feels like a, a preaching to the choir how do you go about wooing in new customers 
rather than the the hardcore regulars who buy everything Arrow. When it's something as as obscure and niche tastes like malformed men. Well, I think it's just kind of getting the balance and just including everyone. And I think we're in a really great position because we've released so many great titles and we do them really well. Um, people do have faith in the stuff that we release. So even if it's something they haven't heard of, they may take a chance on it because it's on the Arrow line, which is really, really great for us. And you see comments all the time where we've released a kind of a more niche film that someone will just pick up because it's it's on the label and then you get a message afterwards being like I'm really glad I took a chance on this it was fantastic have you have you got anything else coming out of a similar ilk and our fans are really great online and recommending other stuff not just from us but from other labels and it's a really good way for people to discover new films yeah that's I think that is one of the like the the old days of trying to track stuff down before companies like arrow existed mm. when it was all you know like video swap lists in magazines and you know going to chinatown and digging through the the martial arts films in the little shops there there was a sort of recommendation network that you established with people you trusted to recommend you films you know this person start you know you know that your tastes are aligned and i feel that arrow has maybe stepped into that role for a lot of people yeah exactly that's something that i know when myself and my sister were younger she used to be when the internet first started she used to be on these forums kind of getting videotapes from people across the world with a few films on and we'd watch those get back to them that was great kind of what else have you got especially things that you couldn't really get hold of i remember we had one which was cannibal holocaust and cannibal the musical double bill which was which was great yeah (laughs) two two young teen girls watching that so it it's definitely a really lovely thing that I, I love seeing people like sharing recommendations and encouraging people to kind of try new things because you never know a film that you've never heard of might be your next favorite film. So it's definitely worth taking a chance on. Yeah, absolutely. It's always really exciting when someone's like, oh my God, have you heard of this? And you get to go, no, no, I haven't. This, yeah, especially when, you've, uh, when you're exposed to as many films as we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it when someone gives me a recommendation of a title I've never heard of. You give it a chance and it's fantastic. It's like a really great feeling to just discover something new just from purely someone else's recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. So with, uh, with something like Malformed Men, do you find that there's like a particular angle that you take with something because of its era or its country of origin or even its like subgenre within the, the cult and obscure world? So for something like this, we've obviously released a couple of other issue films. We released um, Blind Mama's Curse a few years ago, which did yeah. really well. So we already had the kind of way in and that. And Horrors and Malformed Men is obviously one of the films that everyone's kind of heard about. Like I know when I was younger and I started getting into all the kind of Tartan Asian extreme films, I'd be looking for kind of new titles that I hadn't heard of. And I just remember seeing the poster for the, I think it was the Synapse DVD cover of the, yeah. the guy. I, there's a lady laying down the guy is kind of eating her and I was just like, I need to I need to see this film and it's <laughs> definitely one of those ones that I think a lot of people were aware of so it was it was quite it got great kind of feedback when we announced it a lot of people wanted to see it on a kind of pristine edition so we already had a bit of a fan base there which was really helpful it is a really beautiful edition as well I, I haven't seen it since the synapse disc yeah same which I <laughs> uh, and that was a, a world ahead of the crappy old VHS bootleg, how I, you know, the way I first saw it. But this is, again, worlds away from that. It's 
it's an astonishingly clean print. What was the source? Do you know? Um, it was from the original negative, the new 2K restoration. And yeah, it really looks fantastic. I, I think it looks, as you say, it's kind of night and day from the previous releases. And it's just like the colours, it's all a little bit, it really fits the kind of surreal tones of it. And it's just really, it's a little bit murky in a kind of surreal and colourful way at the same time. It's a really interesting film to watch. Yeah, it is. An, it's a very vibrant film, uh, especially because a lot of Ishii's films that I like that I'm familiar with from his canon are his older black and white stuff. Yeah. And so this is, yeah, for it to be such a bright, vibrant film, those are colours I hadn't seen in a print before. Um, I don't know what else to ask you, Lou. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're tired. Well, <laughs> I, I guess one thing out. that I would love to know from kind of your perspective, obviously, there's a lot of there's a lot of effects on the malformed men. Some of them kind of look like they're using a little bit of plaster of palace, a little bit of sand. <laughs> so I'd love to know what you thought of the the effects of the malformed men in the film because I think they're obviously great, but it would be interesting to hear your perspective as a professional from that yeah, area. It's, <laughs> it's interesting. There's like there's a certain uh, there's a certain brain space for old films where I love the endeavor yeah. and the attempt <laughs> at the and the result isn't maybe as important. I feel there's a lot of flour and water being put on people <laughs> yeah. in Melbourne and the uh, the webbed fingers. <laughs> effect on the father character yeah. are um are pretty special <laughs> and there's a there's also some fantastic sort of female goat centaur kind of things I, I think that's what's going on maybe it is just meant to be some women tied to goats and then <laughs> spackled but um yeah there's some pretty uh, pretty out there effects but that's kind of always been even now you look at Japanese films, they've, you know, the, the practical effects have come on leaps and bounds, yeah. but there's still a very specific aesthetic to the Japanese uh, effects world. You know, you go through to more modern stuff, like, you know, not the most modern example, but thinking of things like Tokyo Gore Police and yeah. the effects heavy. There's still, like, every now and then, they're absolutely at the cutting edge. Like, I remember um, I had a had the American DVD box set of the Guinea Pig series. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> uh, when, I was at, when I was at university, and it came with a making of the first two films on a separate disc, but it was the only disc in the box set that wasn't subtitled. It was the only thing that wasn't subtitled. So there was this amazing special effects, like, scene, making of scene, no no subtitles mm. and my uh housemate mark my flatmate mark at the time had uh, had done a japanese language degree <laughs> at soas before he joined us so i'm like mark could you do you want to watch a documentary with me and, and you can help me translate it <laughs> did you so tell him mark. what he was going to be translating before or did you just sit him down and be like translate this and he just I, I gave him i think i gave him some rough indication <laughs> but not not too much but mark, he was he was on my course as well so he was doing like this engineering special effects kind of course so he he was he, he wasn't completely taken aback by it but i i don't think he'd seen guinea pig no <laughs> <laughs> but with there's there's those of you who are familiar those of you listeners who are familiar with guinea pig uh will know that in um uh, flowers of flesh and blood the second one the one that i believe charlie sheen reported to the fbi for being a snuff film oh yeah that was a legend thing, has it, it? <laughs> yeah <laughs> has has in it an incredible uh, moment when a hand is cut off and then the hand is sort of put down and it's still gripping the hand of the person who cut it off and they have to sort of like pry the fingers away from themselves and put it on the 
back down on the bed and then the fingers just slowly close up on this severed hand uh, which is just a lovely little cable rig but it was it was exceptionally good especially mm. for the era and I was watching the documentary of them talking about this and the one word that uh, they weren't able that Mark wasn't able to translate was the material that this hand was made of mm. which was deeply frustrating because it was the one thing was, you wanted to know yeah, <laughs> exactly um it turns out it was silicon, uh, and as far as I can remember, the uh, Japanese for silicon is something along the lines of oil jelly, but uh, sort of in a in a Japanese accent. In the way that a lot of uh, like new words are incorporated into Japan, uh, Japanese, just as pronunciations of their equivalents, which actually leads us to something I was going to talk about with mouthful men. Yeah, but yeah, so. They were right at the cutting edge there, but then a lot of other places, there's this sort of charming naivete, uh, especially going back to these older films, where they're just like, I'll just fucking stick it on. That'll that'll do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, no, God, I I love the aesthetic of of these, uh, of the sort of like mid-60s to mid-70s Japanese genre cinema has some just incredible stuff in it. Um, What I was saying about the the Japanese pronunciation of English words... um, goes back to the the writer of the book or the two books that Horrors of the Malformed Men was based on. Uh, again, I'm sure a lot of people will know this, but Idagawa Rampo, who wrote Panorama Island and the other novel, which the name of which escapes me, that Horrors of the Malformed Men is based on, uh, styled himself on the American author Edgar Allan Poe to the extent that his name is an adopted nom de plume, which is just a Japanese pronunciation of Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Idogawa Rampo is Edgar Allan Poe in a very heavy Japanese accent. And that's where he got his name, which I, I delight in every time I. Yeah, it's great, right? <laughs> every time I read his name. Yeah. Um, there we go. Where, where else are we going with this? <laughs> Sorry, Lou. This is. No, you carry on. A bit, but yeah, I, I a think the, the key thing that I loved about the film is obviously Tasumi Hidekata. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but. Um, the guy who's the deranged villain on the island. My yes. favourite part of the film is how he's been there for 30 years wanting to make this horse-headed statue and he just hasn't. He's just he hasn't been waiting, waiting for 30 years. Like, I just want someone else to do it. Well, he's got... A lot of his plans involve uh, a, like a really long game. Exactly. Uh, without, without wanting to spoil too much, there is a... There is a um, one of his plans involves someone getting a medical degree. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of short-term solutions. I, I really respect that. He's fought it through. Yeah, he's like, look, we may not be on board with what he wants, but we can all respect his ethic, like as far as work goes. Yeah. Not not as far as stitching people together goes, no. but as far as work goes. It's like make something of yourself and then and then come to me. And then and then make something of other people exactly. against their will. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one because it's based on two novels sort of mashed mm. together. There's an enormous amount going on in the film. It's got these sort of like crazy noiry subplots. It's got that um, uh, the, the memory loss thing going yeah. on. Uh, and then it's also got the, the voiceover that's so present in Rampo adaptations. I think because you just can't, like so much of his writing is about the internal experience, which is not something that film lends itself to. Yeah. So yeah, there's a very, very... A specific style when when this film came out you said you when you announced it that there was a like a lot of excitement about it was that has it like how how close are we to selling out of this title i think the first pressing has actually sold out so that would have been the one that came with the booklet which is really great so it's, it's sold really well 
So it's down onto kind of the second pressing, which is the booklet-free version. And yeah, it's it's sold well both in the UK and US as well. So it's definitely an appetite in both territories for the Asian cinema, which is great because it's the stuff that I really like. So hopefully it means we can kind of pick up more of the same as well. That's awesome. Do you think, do you have any more Ishii uh, titles lined up? Anything you can talk about? Well, we've just released Orgies of Ego. Yes. Kind of at the start of the year and Yakuza Law as well, which is imminent. But apart from that, I think that's it for the moment, but never say never. There's some very, very early stuff I'd love to see. I, I don't know if you... So you know how um, Criterion do their Eclipse range, mm. where it's stuff that they maybe don't feel... They don't have the source material to go for Blu-ray, but they do little DVD box sets. Yeah. I was wondering if there was ever a way that Arrow could like bundle older films, maybe where the uh, the quality wasn't justifiable of its own dvd of its own blu-ray release but maybe in the way that they did with um resolution where you get a whole extra film yeah. as a, <laughs> it's something as that we kind of used to do with that aerodrome line where we just had the dvd only versions and i think it's yeah it would be great and i know a lot of kind of his early works are rights issues and the kind of hard to get hold of so i really maybe it's something that we could look into and hopefully kev will be able to track some down but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the the one thing I've been sort of like made aware of over the years is that Japan was pretty rubbish at archiving stuff. Yeah. Because a lot of stuff went missing, a lot of prints are gone forever. Yeah, that's the problem. A lot of things are called by various names. So even if you're tracking down a film, it might not be the one that you think it is. So it's a whole it's a whole thing. It takes a lot of investigation. But yeah, yeah, you were, never know. Yeah, I though watching some of the extras on Malformed Men. They had uh, some interviews with some Japanese filmmakers, uh, like talking about their first experiences of like watching Ishii films, and and that's a that's a great extra. But they were mentioning films I hadn't heard of, and I'm going to IMDb, going like, right, stick that on my list, gonna track that down. And it's like, what the, what the fuck is that film? That's not a name that I. That's not on his list. <laughs> yeah, it's like, was this the film? And yeah, that's the problem I've had in the past when I've been trying to kind of find films, and it's just like, oh, I thought it was called this, but maybe not. And then it's just, yeah, it takes a lot of time and then you know what imdb like is like you never know if it's actually accurate <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's <laughs> it's yeah it, it's not the uh, it's not the resource it once was i think no. it's, as it's as it's broadened out it's become uh, a lot more chaotic exactly. and it's um it's fuzzy searches aren't great like if you're if you very slightly misspell an obscure title, it's convinced you mean a totally unrelated, much less obscure yeah. film. <laughs> it's like, won't show you anything else. This one from nineteen ninety five. You're like, no, it's from it's from the sixties. <laughs> this is not what it was. Yeah, yeah. I, like, <laughs> but I was pulling up um, pulling up Malfoy Men on my laptop before we started recording yeah. just to check some check some bits, and uh, I got as far as Horrors of the Mal before it stopped recommending totally different films with the autocomplete it really didn't want horrors i mean like films that didn't even have didn't even start with those letters it was just so convinced that i wasn't looking for horrors of the mouth it's the algorithms that's taking to get you i've uh, do you find with um are you involved with like how third party companies list arrow products is that a so that's like something that um, our sales team deal with. So we send out all, once we, we've got our new release announcements, we send out all the information to various retailers. And a lot of the time it gets updated straight away and no issues, but sometimes things do get missed or things get listed incorrectly. And it's just 
just part of part and parcel of it so we try and get things changed as soon as we can but obviously a lot of the times it's dealing with automated computers trying to re-automate stuff so it does take a while yeah, yeah that makes sense it's the modern world oh, all, <laughs> all the exciting stresses of yeah dealing with this stuff digitally I, I guess i'm going to move on to asking you about other films you'd recommend based on this i'm sure. excited to before we do how did you first see this what was the circumstance under how you first saw mouthful men horrors of mouthful men so i saw that when i was i can't remember how young very late teens so it's when obviously okay. tartan asian extreme stuff was all was everywhere i'd watched the auditions I, I was kind of rapidly collecting all of those dvds and then after you watch all of those i kind of just wanted to see more of the east yeah. asian stuff so when I was doing my dissertation um, for my undergrad, I did a kind of about S&M in Takeshi Miike films. So a lot of these films such as Horrors of Malformed Men and a lot of like kind of pinky violence and pink films were coming up in my research. So I had a really great lecturer who was kind of my mentor for the piece and he had kind of a really great back catalogue of Japanese titles so a lot of the stuff he'd helped me find and Horrors of Mouthful oh, wow. One was one of them that he had he'd imported it so I watched it then and it was yeah the cover I expected something completely different but I loved it I thought it was kind of harking back to the more avant-garde style of some of the earlier films in Japan and I thought it was fantastic yeah oh god it's such a treat the first time you watch it because it is so bizarre yeah Sam and I talk quite a lot about like dream logic cinema on the uh, on the podcast and and how it's a you know it's a sort of favorite thing of both of ours but this is a fantastic example of it, it really is like a sort of waking dream yeah um, all this crazy imagery so what yeah so obviously you had that amazing you say you had that mentor who's this sort of doorway into these these crazy films yeah. which you know goes back to what we were talking about about having that great like having someone you can trust who's just going to recommend you stuff and you know kind of gets what it is that you're after so what would you recommend to people turning to you to say I loved this it was like nothing I'd ever seen what else what else would you recommend so first recommendation is it's um, a 60 millimeter short film from 1962 which is called war games um so it was filmed by expat donald ritchie who wrote about a lot of kind of japanese cinema japanese culture if you haven't read some of his books i definitely recommend those they're really really brilliant amazing so this was one, one of the i think it was one of the first films he made when he actually moved to japan and it's about a group of boys that are congregating on the shore they have a pet goat and there's a bit a little bit of rough and tumble with the boys playing in the sea and the goat dies and then they kind of do a kind of burial of the goat and it turns a little bit Lord of the Flies with the boys. And it's very avant-garde, very experimental. The, there's a kind of sea, seashore kind of soundtrack, which is really hypnotic and also bizarrely soothing when you listen to it. And it was really interesting, actually, which is the link to Horrors of Malformed Men, that Tasumi Hidekata, who was the villain Horrors of Malformed Men, actually helped choreograph the the short so he was involved with it helping oh, the kind wow. of the kids get the expressions that they needed out and kind of had a little bit of the buto dancing which he kind of founded in in japan so it's, it's really really great it's very very slow paced but um it's it's a really great kind of short 20 minute watch that, that's amazing is that is it available anywhere like legitimately or is this a youtube track down so it is available in a box set called Donald Ritchie, a film anthology. 
Unfortunately, I think it is out of print, so you can still get hold of it, but it does kind of you'll you'll have to pay but i did have a look last night because i was like i don't want to recommend a film that no one can get hold of and you you can't be the first one (laughs) youtube if um if you can't get hold of the the dvd set you can see it on youtube at the moment so it's definitely worth checking out is that a uk set or an american set or it was an australian set Australia. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. It's, it's really <laughs> I've never great. even. I've never heard of it. It sounds fantastic. I will be um, trying to track that down. Yeah, if you can, it's got like a, a few of his shorts on there, and all of them. Like, I'm a really big fan of his work, and I would highly recommend it. But yeah, it's a it's a hard one to recommend to people purely because it's out of print, and that it's a big risk for the price if you're not sure you're going to like it because it's very experimental, very avant garde. But if you're into that stuff, I definitely recommend kind of researching it and reading a bit more about it and seeing if it's something you'd be interested in um, yeah i'm definitely gonna definitely gonna have a look Amazing. into that especially as his his books as well i yeah there you go as you said as we said earlier it's lovely to have someone recommend something to you that you've just never heard of great um <laughs> and i well yeah that's excellent um my uh, first recommendation is probably a little more obvious it's from the same year it's uh yasuzo masamura's uh blind beast Brilliant. Another Rampo adaptation uh, from 69. Uh, also an out-of-print DVD. Mm. <laughs> this is an American <laughs> uh, disc from Fantoma, which uh, you can kind of pick up pick up relatively inexpensively occasionally yeah. uh, from eBay or whatever. But if you go to Amazon Marketplace, it's like 100 bucks. So, you know, fuck that. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's a great film. That was oh, actually going to be one of my recommendations. But I was like, oh, I, think, I, was like, I think that's one that Dan might recommend. So I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> It's an, it, it, it's an easy it's an easy one i was well so uh, ishii directed a sort of remake sort of sequel to blind beast as his last film which is i'm sad to say appalling yeah but uh but it sort of ties him back to it as well obviously it came out the same year as horrors of the malformed men it's a very very fucking weird beauty and the beast story which is like a lot of these japanese films uh, from this era has some pretty problematic content in a modern context, but is just such an astonishing and stylized film that I feel it's like. Um, actually, I went to see, I went to see Ninth Configuration last night with Colin Geddes, um, who is local to me in Toronto, where I am at the moment. Nice. And we were talking about films like this afterwards. And I think it was actually in relation to um, Goodbye Uncle Tom, the Jacopetti Prosperi uh, mm. Mondo, fake Mondo. But he said these films are like fur coats. We know that they're wrong. But that doesn't stop them being beautiful. Yeah. Like in a modern context, we know that they're wrong, which is a lovely way of of um, of summing it, of, of summarising your your experience of these things. Because rewatching Blind Beast the other day, I'm like, oh fuck me, this is this is difficult. There's some there's some difficult stuff in this. It's essentially about a blind amateur sculptor who poses as a masseur, uh, as a masseuse, who are traditionally blind men in Japan, to be able to kidnap a photographic model who has posed for one sculpture amidst a series of photographs and he has become obsessed with her physical form via touching this sculpture and he with the help of his mother he takes her back to his crazy warehouse and decides to force her to be his muse um which again is a sort of recurrent thing in in Japanese <laughs> genre cinema thinking about things like mermaid in a manhole going back to um guinea pig like mm. there's there's often this no i'm an artist and that's super important so you get to live as a slave now <laughs> yeah. because i'm gonna paint you or sculpt you or whatever 
And then it's actually, so I think it kind of occupies a mid-space between a femina ridens, a woman in, mm-hmm. what's the official translation? It's because I think the ridens kind of means both like pain and ecstasy in, in Italian. I may be getting that wrong. But anyway, there's two slightly different translations for feminine ridens. But Blind Beast sort of occupies a middle ground between Horrors of the Malformed Men and feminine ridens. Narratively, it's much closer to ridens. But stylistically, it's, it's probably closer to Malformed Men. But yeah, it's a, a, very, uh, a very good film to check out. I don't think it has a UK release, does it? Maybe that's one for Arrow no, in the I future. No, I think I had the American DVD. Yeah, it's got that slightly... Like, it's got her turning to camera and him behind her with his dark glasses on. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, that's the Fantoma disc. Yeah, it's it's not a particularly exciting um, cover, considering how crazy some of the imagery in that film is. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, it's definitely worth people seeking out if they can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, what else have you got for us, Lou? Cool. So, my second... So I did two recommendations. So my second one is Imprint by Takeshi Miike, the 2006 mini film. So it was, um, I'm sure a lot of people already know the kind of story, but it was created as part of the Master of Horror series. But the episode was never aired due to the graphic content and going kind of back to classic Miike style so ah, was, I didn't know they'd not shown it no they didn't show it on TV they released it on DVD but they never showed it on Showbox because uh, okay. they were just like no it's too much which is I guess it it kind of makes sense it's pretty yeah it's, but I mean you know what you're getting with Miike like you, you don't do. I mean maybe you don't maybe maybe they thought they were going to get like Andromedia or whatever yeah, I think it's just the kind of the a lot of the taboo subjects that he covers. So you got like the whole abuse and the incest and the quite graphic abortion stuff, and it's it's quite a lot of stuff going on, which I could imagine would um, kind of yeah. offend and upset <laughs> quite a lot of people who aren't. I guess a lot of people who may have been watching it on Showbox might not have been kind of au fait with his other stuff, like Itchy to Killer and Audition. So I can imagine it would come as quite of a shock. Yeah, they they weren't expecting to have quite so many needles. No, involved. exactly. <laughs> so um, for anyone who hasn't kind of seen it, the it stars Billy Drago, who gives an interesting performance, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It does suffers a little bit from the same thing that often happens when uh, East Asian directors work with English language actors, um, which is I think that the deliveries are so different that if they're not like super fluent in English themselves they can often allow slightly peculiar performances through but it is memorable let's be honest so um so he's playing an American journalist searching for his missing love who is a prostitute with very striking red hair um he arrives on the island to try and find her he finds out that she's died and then he demands to kind of hear the story of what happened to her and he gets regaled with a really tragic and horrific tale of her life and her demise and as it's a Miike film you can kind of expect some of his iconic torture and it's very graphic but it's also really well shot and there's some really kind of creative and beautiful shots of it which makes the kind of horrific scenes all the more jarring in a sense and it's definitely yeah. not going to be for everyone, but I I am a diehard Mike fan, so it was a a go to recommendation for me. Yeah, that's a very very good recommendation. I if I remember correctly, there are two different edits of it. There's the one that was released as the box set part of the series, which is only about forty five minutes long, yeah. like a chop down, and then there's a standalone release that's uh, like 
almost 90 minutes is that right yeah so they released it i'm not sure how long the separate dvd released because i had the box set one so mm-hmm. but yeah there's definitely a slightly longer cut on the the standalone imprint version rather than the master of horrors season one release yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's two two versions out there for people to track down. My uh, my second recommendation is quite left field. It predates um, predates Malfoy Men by a couple of years. It's uh, directed by David Friedman over in the states, and it's She Freak, which is David Friedman's 1967 rip off of Todd Browning's Freaks. Amazing. <laughs> but um, but <laughs> uh, again, I think I, I don't think it's out of print. Actually, it's on um, on DVD in the states through something weird. Although, given um, Arrow's amazing treatment of uh, Herschel's output, maybe Friedman can have a, a similar, uh, maybe not quite so extensive <laughs> and, and lux- luxury, but maybe maybe some Friedman stuff will come to Arrow in the near future. Mm. Um, she Freak is essentially what you would expect from a uh, if Todd Browning's Freaks was remade uh, without any copyright acknowledgement at all by a man that used to be the person that stands outside a freak show at a carnival and, and shouts at people as they walk past <laughs> which I think Free- I remember Friedman saying on an interview was one of his early jobs was as a carnival barker but it has a it, again it's I mean it's it's not as accomplished a film technically as uh, Horrors of the Malfoy Men Horrors of the Malfoy Men is a, is a, is a great film um, for all its rough around the edges effects and so on uh, She Freak is a, a, a cash grab definitely but they share a lot of things probably accidentally through aesthetic um, and it is about someone creating their own freak show so there are there are obvious connections amazing I've not seen that one so I am, oh, have I you am not, um, so we've both shared a will, recommendation here I'm, I'm loving this you will love She Freak Lou you'll absolutely love it I'm going to put it on my list like after it's astonishing <laughs> if you haven't if you haven't tracked it down by the time I get back from Toronto I will lend you my uh, American disc of it amazing yeah, an absolute delight. Um, so, uh, obviously, Lou, uh, as, as Kev said uh, last time, you uh, forcibly pumped the, uh, the the podcast through the speakers at Arrow so that you all know exactly what Sam and I think of everything. So you'll be very familiar with the fact that I'm now going to ask you uh, to recommend films that you've just seen in your day-to-day life, uh, unrelated, or they can be related if you want, but unrelated to uh, to Malformed Men. What have, you, what have you been watching? Amazing. So I've been watching a lot recently, um, some not so good, so I'm just going to sidestep those and pretend I've got really great taste. <laughs> no one wants to As always, that. yeah, just I ignore the wheat from chaff here. Yeah, that's all good. And so one of the um, recent ones that I've seen um, was Mid-90s, the Jonah Hill's debut film, which I absolutely oh. loved. So yeah. it's shot How in 60 it? millimeter film. It's a coming of age, of age like film, which follows a 13 year old boy in 90s LA. He's kind of a little bit of a loner. He's not having the best time at home. And he goes to a skate shop and meets a group of older guys who kind of take him under their wing and he becomes part of that kind of their little skate family. And yeah, I loved it. It's really funny. It's really sad at times. And it's a very low fly, loosely potted character driven piece. And yeah, it just, I'm a really big fan of kind of skate films. So it was completely just yeah perfect for me amazing uh yeah i i think i i heard about it a while back when it was first sort of like being talked about and i didn't know it was out so that's great yeah it's taken a while like i know it was well debuted in america in september last year and it's only just hit uk kind of 
two weeks ago so there was a long a long wait so I was very much anticipating it so yeah it's fantastic it's got like shades of skate kitchen and kids in there and it's just nice it's it's really really sweet oh that's awesome uh yeah I'll definitely check that out my first one is uh I think it's officially a 2018 film but because it's Asian uh it's just I saw it in the cinema here a couple of days ago um I don't know if it's even out in the UK yet you might be able to tell me uh it's called The Long Day's Journey Into Night by Gan B it is not out here yet <laughs> okay well that's great that's good I like to be able to do this normally it's Sam Build gets to recommend things that aren't out yet <laughs> yeah <laughs> because he gets access to all this stuff through his journo work yeah I I absolutely loved it um I, I don't go to the cinema on my own that much, um, but I always have a really... I, whenever I do, I always think, why don't I go to the cinema on my own more often? I really like it. So anyway, I went to a, a late a late night screening on Friday. We, we uh, It was Good Friday, so we're you know, recording this a bit in advance. So on Good Friday, we had the day off from shoot. Um, I don't know very many people in Toronto who aren't working, and all those people live locally, so they've got families. Uh, so I found myself on my own. I went down to the, um, the TIFF cinema which is just around the corner from where i'm staying uh which is a lovely lovely cinema uh, and i went along to see um long day's journey tonight it's interesting that it's the second half is in 3d which means that the first half reads quite dark because of the lenses that they have to use on the projector um, but that kind of sits really well with it. it it does actually fit quite well in the malformed men like arena just because it's very dream logic-y it's a really like dreamy film it's got a broken timeline in it and i i've only seen it once but i can't work out whether or not the main character is experiencing the disorganized timeline in the same order that we the audience are there are some things that make me think that they're playing around with it almost in a sort of you ever read cities of the red knight the william burroughs no i haven't it's about a person living several different timelines mm. intermittently. Like they keep on, they keep on being a different person in different places. Basically, it's a single consciousness moving through different space spaces. Um, and there's some stuff in this that made me feel a little bit like maybe that character is living the scenes in the order that we're watching them in, rather than the order that they occurred. Mm. But that's very subjective. I don't know if that's actually the case. But but basically, it's about a guy who, not dissimilar to Imprint returns to uh to a town to find someone who he was in love with it seems like they disappeared when they were very when he was very young and he's he's brought back to the town by the death of his father but but while he's there he sort of tries to track this this woman down but then there's all sorts of inconsistencies and changes in focus that feel very much like a dream the way a dream can kind of pivot Mm. and a new normal takes the front takes the fore like with no with with less questioning than you would ever have in real life like a lot of these changes you'd be like what the fuck is going on (laughs) but because it's a dream you just kind of go with it and about halfway through the film the character is in a cinema and he puts on some 3d glasses you are then it's about 70 minutes in you are then expected to put on your 3d glasses and the second half of the film is one single continuous shot in 3d uh and obviously it's it's aided with a few digital bit of, bits of digital stitching, but it's unbelievably beautiful. Um, it's very slow, very lyrical, and very very dreamy. But uh, yeah, do do go and check it out at the cinema if you can. Uh, go. And, I, it was a really full cinema as well. I like uh, I like Toronto's film going public. <laughs> Amazing. I'm really glad um, to hear it's good. Like I've been wanting to see it since it played at a couple of festivals last year, so it's been on my list. So I'm eagerly awaiting a UK screening somewhere. <laughs> Oh yeah, highly recommend. 
amazing. What else have you seen, Lou? So my second recommendation is the 1989 film Blue Vengeance, which I watched this morning, actually. So it tells the story of a convicted killer called Mark Trax, who escapes from an asylum for the criminally insane after 10 years of being locked up. And his quest, as he calls it, is to track down a band called Warriors of the Inferno, who he believes kind of they sung occult songs they're like an occult metal band and he thinks that everything they're singing is true so it's kind of part man on the run part serial killer film part police procedural it's like kind of a bit of everything it's a blu-ray debut of a director video film which i don't think got a proper release in the u.s until now it's set in 1980s nyc it's been restored and released by the lovely guys at vinegar syndrome and it looks Uh absolutely fantastic the new restoration is really really great and it's just a really fun fun film there's action there's gore there's kind of a medieval flashbacks it's just it's it's really really fun i really enjoyed watching it amazing i've not seen it and the the little throw-in of medieval flashbacks in that description yeah uh definitely piques my interest that's awesome is it just by, out of interest is it something that was previously only available on a trauma vhs i believe there was a couple of european dvd versions and i think one okay. of them might have been cut as well i think there was a, a german version which may have been like I, this might be completely wrong and i think one of them was slightly cut but it was never released properly in the u.s which is okay. really surprising as it's a, a u.s-based film based in nyc yeah. so it's yeah it's the first time it's kind of been widely available and it's definitely worth checking out it's just it's really really fun and within the first 10 minutes it's kind of the the guy that escapes prison just goes on a little bit of a spree and you're just like will it be able to keep up this pace and it just does and it goes into kind of the seedy underbelly of the like the rock scene in nyc and it's just kind of has a little bit of everything but it it works instead of just being like we've just tried to fit five films into one it's just yeah it's, i really enjoyed it that sounds awesome i'll pick one of those up while i'm here Kev recommended a film called White Fire last time, which I thought I would have been able to watch by now because it's on um, American Amazon Prime. But it turns out that Amazon Prime doesn't let you watch the prime content of the country that you're in. It it locks you to the country that your credit card is registered to. You need to find a friend. Yeah, (laughs) that's very annoying. And just be like, we're watching this. There doesn't seem to be any physical video version of it it's only prime or nothing so yeah very very disappointing my uh my recommendation is also a vinegar syndrome uh disc although i think it's been released in the uk by 88 films um i don't know if they i don't know if there's a lot of crossover maybe they're one of those companies where like one will take the us one will take Mm -hmm. the uk and they share the master which seems to happen occasionally but it's pigs by mark lawrence yeah uh, which i've i've not seen since i was recommended it at least a decade ago and i saw a sort of a really grimy copy the reason i asked about trauma was because i've noticed a few of the vinegar syndrome discs have a trauma logo at the front of the film when it starts playing and it's interesting that a lot of these like titles that trauma obviously picked up very cheap back in the day because no one else was was putting them out 
are now getting this sort of luxurious treatment. I, I did a thing in London a little while ago with Lloyd uh, from Troma, and he was talking about um, Arrow releasing some Troma titles mm. and how f- for Troma themselves, their brand isn't such that they can justify the cost of Blu-ray mastering. Yeah. But that other people dip into their library and license stuff. And so that's kind of the way that like some of these films get this love and attention. And it's really interesting that that Arrow has the uh, has the reputation that if it's on Arrow, it's good enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm still Whereas, waiting for a Blu-ray release of Cannibal Musical. It's, it's oh my, my dream. Yeah. Someone needs to release as, it. <laughs> as long as it still has the, the audio commentaries from the, uh, oh the Trailer Special Edition. So, I think we've touched on this before on the podcast, <laughs> Sam and I, but just the best, the best audio commentaries. It literally is the pinnacle. It's like, if you're doing an audio commentary, this is what you need to aim for. It's fantastic. Yeah, drink, drink all the way through it and then just do another one immediately afterwards and carry on drinking. Exactly. Yeah, fantastic <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah, for those of you who haven't seen Pigs, I think it was uh, released as Daddy's Deadly Darling. And then there were some other titles as well. There was like a sort of an exorcism, exorcist type title. And there's some great uh, alternate openings and closings on the disc that um, that show how much a distributor can can fuck with a film with a, a bit of reshoots, uh, sticking some people in wigs and <laughs> pretending they're the same characters and shooting dialogue from behind them. Uh, and then occasionally reaction shots culled from elsewhere in the film. But extensively, it's about a woman who turns up at a middle-of-nowhere township in America and takes a job at a cafe that has a load of pigs out back, has 12 pigs out back. In fact, when you watch the film, the title, the, the title card that comes up on the version, the uncut version, uh, is The 13th Pig, which I'd never heard of as a title for it before. So, that's, yeah, there's a, a dozen pigs or so behind this cafe. Uh, the film does open with the pigs being fed a human corpse, so, you know, right from the get-go, you know, something's up. <laughs> Sets the scene. Sets the scene. <laughs> Sets the scene, yeah, exactly. And then she, you know, she's working out her demons. We're finding out about her backstory uh, while the uh, super creepy uh, owner of the uh, cafe who does not know what to do with his hands when the camera is rolling, <laughs> waving them all over the fucking place. Uh, while he, you know, he continues to uh, to feed people to pigs. And the police are super, super chill about sorting all this out. <laughs> <laughs> and then some, uh, and then some, some pretty cool reveals and twists. Some of which are completely excised in the other versions. Uh, some of which are cut and like moved to the front of the film, so that there's nothing in the in the last twenty minutes. There's no reveals at all because they've all been done right at the top. And then some, some other versions just include an exorcism because she's been possessed. Someone's been possessed by a pig. <laughs> in the other versions but yeah it's a it's a really fun little sort of exploitation american exploitation but it's uh, it's the extras that really make it worth recommending because it's so it's interesting to see how different that film is with just a few extra minutes here and there mm. um so yeah I, again i can't i can't say for certain that those extra features are on the 88 release i assume they are but worth checking but the vinegar syndrome one that i saw definitely definitely has them I think a few of them might be um, exclusive to the vinegar, but I don't quite us on that. Someone will need to DVD BV this to just to double check. Yeah, yeah, I should have done that. I'm sorry. Hey. <laughs> um, I think that's probably it. Lou, is there anything else you want to tell the people? Is there anything coming up or? So one of the exciting things that um, I can say that's coming up. So last year we were um, headline sponsors of Fright Fest and we have managed to negotiate new terms. So we are again coming back as headline sponsors for their 20th anniversary slash our 10th anniversary, which is really, really exciting. So 
that starts in so it's august bank holiday in the uk and it's going to be really really fun i think they've got a lot of cool stuff planned to kind of mark their 20th anniversary and yeah we're really really happy that we can come back on board as headline sponsors once again that's really exciting um thank you so much for joining me lou my pleasure thanks so much for having me oh it's been really yeah it's been really nice and um obviously sam you're still missed we still want you back Sam, has, as you all know, has taken a little bit of time off, but he is still creating content. Mm. Uh, his Deep Cut Videos YouTube channel is, uh, is still uh, creating new stuff, which is great. Once again, Lou, thank you so much. And with whoever joins me next time, I will attempt to be more professional. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, thanks so much. I hope you have a great time in Canada. And yeah, I'll see you when you get back. Thanks so much. I'll see you. When we, yeah, see you when I get back. Maybe for a uh, a screening of I don't even remember what disc it was. I said you could borrow. Oh, She Freak. Yes, we'll do She Freak. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll do a screening of She Freak. All right. Thanks so much. Amazing. Bye, everyone. Awesome. Cheers. Bye.